found in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 9 to 28. If you're using your pew Bible, it's found in page 778. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts, chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, starting with verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up. Heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are, do- are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are, all, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. This is God's word. So uh, given the reference to uh, Ella and Jason's situation and their colleague who's an uh, adult daughter took her life just recently. Uh, I would mention mm, that this spring we're hoping to have a mental health and wellness conference here within the church with uh, depression slash suicide being one of the uh, topics. We're bringing somebody in from the outside. So we recognize that this is always an um, issue within any community, including a Christian community. So we want to help uh, address it together. Now, this spring, winter and spring, we're headed into a new sermon series. 
In a sense, it's new. In a sense, it's a continuation. But what happened, uh, there were several directions we could have headed. And as I sought the advice of EML Core, I figured what we should do is finish up what we've been doing for the last maybe year and a half. So, so we did the Old Testament, an overview of the Old Testament, salvation history. What has God's plan been from the very beginning and how has he brought that plan through? And so we saw that, you know, the Genesis 1 and 2, the world is created pure and good. You know, and all world religions share this in common. The recognition that life is not the way it's supposed to be. Now, they differ in their analysis of the problem and their identification of the solution and the mechanism for achieving the solution. But they all agree on this. Our world is not the way it's supposed to be. And and certainly the Old Testament affirms this, Genesis 1 and 2. Here's the way the world is supposed to be. But you notice at last, it's only three chapters up until chapter 3. And in the midst of chapter 3, there's the fall, and then the world is no longer as it should be. And so the promise comes to Abraham and says, God's going to restore the world, and, he, and he's going to do it by working through Israel. God is going to prioritize Israel, and through Israel, he's going to restore the world. Now, this is a review for those of you who haven't been here. For those of you who have been here, it'll be over in two minutes. Uh, so basically, God made three promises to Abraham, and all of them are designed to restore the world back to the Edenic state. He promised descendants. He promised land. And he promised that this blessing of descendants and land and and relationship with God and prosperity would extend through Israel to the rest of the world. And all of the Old Testament just traces the fulfillment of the promise of descendants and land to Israel. And through blessing, then into disobedience, And then repentance, God brings blessing and descendants and land. And just when they're on the cusp of God extending this blessing through Israel to the whole world, just when they're on the cusp of that, when the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon, when Israel's prosperity and wisdom and spiritual insight is being recognized throughout the world, just when they're on the verge of that, then Solomon leads the nation into idolatry. Yet again, they go into exile as judgment. Then God brings them back to the land, but still they don't worship and obey him alone. So then finally, after the, through the Old Testament, then we come to the Gospels, and Jesus comes to restore the world. He comes as the Lamb of God to restore the world and introduce the kingdom of God, the reign of God. But the odd thing happened. Or the odd thing didn't happen. What Israel expected was that when the Messiah came in and restored the reign of God, when when God asserted his authority over the whole world, then Eden would be recovered. Now, it's not just the suicide of a Christian missionary that demonstrates to us, or the suicide of the daughter of a Christian missionary that demonstrates to us the world is not as it should be. We have many manifestations of that whether it be the shooting of police or whether it be the harassment of minorities, whether it be disease and illness, sorrow and grieving, we know the world is not as it should be. Even though Jesus has come, even though Jesus instituted the reign of God. So what we're going to look at this next section through this series is what is our life 
What can we expect life to be like between these two ages? In the meantime, now that Jesus has come to begin the restoration of God, before Jesus returns and then does institute Eden, or Edenic kind of life, in between these two markers, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, we live in the meantime. We live in between the ages. We live between the one blessing and the fulfillment of blessings. And so, what is life, what can we expect life to be like in between these ages? What that will eventually be, actually be is a survey of the New Testament. Because they lived in the same time we did. And what we'll do is we'll look at each of the New Testament books in turn, or most of the New Testament books, and pick out the central theme of each book. What is our life supposed to be like? And, and how is our relationship with God supposed to unfold in the meantime? And so we start with the book of Acts. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we have the priority of the Jews. Remember the three blessings to Abraham. Uh, descendants, land, and that through Abraham, he would be a blessing to the world. The priority of Judaism, the priority of the Jews. This is the central theme of the Old Testament. And we have in Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, we saw that no longer a priority to the Jews. And the book of Acts, the central notion in the book of Acts is how this unfolds. You see... But when the book of Acts begins, the church is really, the Christian church is really all Jewish. Everybody's Jewish. By the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, the church is predominantly Gentile. Now this is a huge issue. And how does the church shift from a priority of Jew to a priority of Gentile. And what does that mean for the church? You see, you realize why Jesus was crucified. Right? I mean, yes, he died for our sins. But from why Jewish leadership crucified Jesus was because he was a heretic leading the people astray. And in the ancient times, there was this huge divide between Jew and Gentile. People of God, enemies of God. Holy unholy, unclean. And in fact, in, in Acts chapter 10, in the passage that was read for us today, remember what Peter says to Cornelius. He goes to Cornelius' house and says, now let's think about this for a minute. You know it's not lawful. You know the Bible does not allow me to come into your house and associate with you and eat with you. And by the end of the account, he stays with Cornelius for a few days, eating with him. So the Old Testament, the fundamental theme is the priority of Jews. And then if Gentiles are welcome to come into relationship with God, but in order to become a, a person of God, in order to come into relationship with God, a Gentile has to become Jewish. And that wasn't very attractive. People didn't want the food restrictions. People didn't want circumcision. So there was a prioritizing of the Jews in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament. Now, a modern parallel of priority, just to illustrate the situation. Oh, about four or five years ago. Every year, I typically go to Florida to visit my mother for a week or two. 
Four or five years ago, I took my first flight on JetBlue, because JetBlue is the only one that goes to that regional airport. First time I'd ever been on JetBlue before, and I don't think the story relates to the fact that it, it doesn't have to be JetBlue, it just happened to be JetBlue. But I flew down to get cheap airfares. You don't want to go during the holiday time. You don't want to go Thanksgiving. You don't want to go Christmas time. My schedule's flexible. Irene's is not. She often can't go down. I go down alone because I can go and pay $200. She has to pay $450, and I'm cheap. She'd pay it to see my mother, but I wouldn't pay it for her to see my mother. So, whatever, I don't know. Anyway, the point is, I went down for Halloween. I'm, not, I, I'm sorry, there's no correlation there. Eh? There's not meant to be a correlation. It just coincidentally happened to be a Halloween. And what really surprised me was, I mean, I went down to Halloween just because the airfares were cheap. I didn't try to get out of my house so I didn't have to give the kids candy. What surprised me was, plane when it came time to board. You know how you have priority boarding on planes, right? And two people get priority, the regular customers and the old people. And I was really, this flight, you know, snowbirds go down to Florida every year. I didn't know it started at Halloween. I'm at that flight for Halloween evening, and apparently a lot of old people don't want to give candy to kids because, oh, gee. Maybe two-thirds of the plane needed pre-boarding because they were so aged. They needed help to get on the plane. I don't mean all by your standards. I mean all by my standards. <laughs> two-thirds, you know, and, and then by the time it came time to give priority to customers, you know, frequent flyers, there weren't many people left. Everybody needed pre-boarding because they were so aged. Now, what was really striking... And this is a Halloween miracle, because when we landed in Florida, maybe only three people needed help to get off the airplane. A <laughs> hundred needed to get help to get on. I thought, well, praise Jesus, it's a Halloween miracle. <laughs> or praise JetBlue. But the, you don't got, you got the concept of priority, prioritizing. And, and this was the Old Testament concept of salvation. Priority to the Jew. And if a Gentile, they can come. But, 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 but see, the Gentile has to come. And the Gentile not only has to come, but he has to come and he has to become like us. He's got to cut off something that's kind of painful. And he's got to eat only certain foods. No lobster. Uh, priority to the Jew. And then Jesus, you know, Jesus gave a few hints, but he, Jesus reached out constantly to Jews, almost always to Jews. And when somebody who wasn't a Jew, a Gentile, wanted to reach out to Jesus, Jesus said, well, wait a minute now, this is not really for you. And they, oh yeah, we know, we know, but even the dogs can get the crumbs that shake off the table. So even Jesus is Jews first. And then just at the end, as we saw from Matthew chapter 28, go into, then, go into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But that, that doesn't necessarily mean Gentiles because there were Jews scattered throughout the diaspora, throughout the whole world. So maybe they didn't get it yet. Maybe they didn't get it. He means go into all the world regardless of ethnicity, regardless of race, regardless of religious background. There were Jews everywhere. Okay, they're going to go bring the gospel to the Jews who are elsewhere. But... I mean, Jesus met something else, but it doesn't mean that they really grasped it. And so, when the book of Acts begins, where are they? The disciples are sitting in Jerusalem, 
waiting, as Jesus told them, for the Spirit to come on them. Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. The Holy Spirit will come on you and you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then, in the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. The Spirit who was promised in the Old Testament as a sign of the kingdom of God, the Spirit who would transform hearts and cause people to embrace God and obey him, the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, and they did the oddest thing. They started speaking in foreign languages. Because the gospel is no longer just for those who speak Aramaic. Most Jews in the first century had forgotten Hebrew. Most didn't know how to read Hebrew or, or speak much Hebrew, but they knew Aramaic in Palestine. But the gospel is no longer just for people who speak Aramaic. It's for people who speak all sorts of different languages. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the roaring, as the Spirit came down at the sound of the roaring wind, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one heard the disciples speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own native language? We hear them telling in our own languages the mighty works of God. So Acts bridges us from Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, where the Jews are prioritized, to a new age when Jews no longer have any priority. Acts chapter 2. And, and the Spirit comes down, and as they're in Jerusalem, they speak in these foreign languages. And what do the disciples do next? They stay in Jerusalem. Because, after all, that's what Jesus told them to do. Be witnesses for me in Jerusalem. Stop. Well, maybe Jesus didn't tell them that. And, and certainly, if you can suddenly, miraculously speak in foreign languages, that's really what you should do, is stay in your hometown, where you can speak your own language. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Or maybe not. Now, as a church gradually becomes multicultural, there are going to be issues. Multi-ethnic. So in Acts chapter 6, the next, we're going to just hop and skip through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, what happens then? You remember the story. All you've got right now is you've got Jews who were born in Palestine. PBJ, not peanut butter and jelly. Palestinian born Jews. And you've got OBJ, overseas born Jews. Sound familiar? Huh? And of course, what happens? You got both of them in one church, and what happened for them was never what happens here. They had conflict between them because they've got diversity in the one community. Still, all Jews. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, in those days, the disciples were increasing in number. The Hellenists, the Hellenists, the overseas-born Jews, murmured against the Hebrews 
because their widows were neglected in the daily giving of food. You know, uh, they didn't have welfare. They didn't have Medicare, Medicaid. What would happen is that if you had widows who had no family to look after them, they'd go to the synagogue or they'd go to the church, and the church would make the distribution. And the overseas-born Jews are saying, look, you Palestinian-born Jews, you, you, you're taking all the money and you're giving it all to your widows. You're not giving any to our widows. And so the Palestinian-born Jew says, well, that's how it should be because we're more important than you are. Or they said, you should learn Aramaic and then we'll give you some support. You'll be one of us. What they said was, pick out from among you, from among the Hellen, Hellenistic-born Jews, or the overseas-born Jews, pick out seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty. Take leadership from your own midst. Now, here's a remarkable thing. It's, you see what's happening in our own church as we have a transition in, in leadership. It's not it's transitioning from one group to another, but over the last 15 years that I've been here, uh, there's been a remarkable infusion of ABCs into the OBC leadership of this church. A commendable thing. Rather than being defensive toward each other, collaborating and working together. So there's a very positive thing happening in Acts 6. But there's also a dubious thing happening in Acts 6. Because where are they all still? They're all still in Jerusalem. And it's not until Acts 7 or Acts 8 that they start to leave. And why do, why do they leave? Acts 7, Stephen is brought into the Sanhedrin and he preaches a fiery sermon that gets him killed. And Acts chapter 8, verse 1, on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And all the Christians were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Uh, what had Jesus said? The Spirit will be on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in all Samaria. And they stay in Jerusalem until the persecution. And now they go to Judea and they go to Samaria. It's not a surprise that it's hard for us to prioritize cross-cultural overseas missions when it was so hard for them who'd heard Jesus to prioritize it. On that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And those who were scattered went about preaching the word. When they were persecuted and thrown out of the city, wherever they went, they didn't go out on cross-cultural mission trips. Wherever they went to save their lives, they talked about Jesus. So the gospel that didn't spread through missions spread through persecution. It didn't spread intentionally, but it did spread as they talked about Jesus wherever they went. And then Acts takes us to the story of Cornelius, which we had read for us today in Acts 10. Now, this story is an odd one, if you think about it. Cornelius is at his home, and he's a devout. He sees an angel come to him in a vision. And the angel tells him to call for Peter. 
Notice the oddity. He sees one angel once, tell him to call for Peter, and so he sends for Peter. He doesn't know what's going on, but he sends for Peter. At the same time, Peter's hungry, goes up to the roof where people would relax and unwind, wait for the women folk to get done cooking the food. Hey, uh, I didn't write it, it's in the Bible. And he waited up on the roof, and he f- fell asleep, and he had a dream about food, because he's hungry. But he had a dream about non-kosher food. Now, here's the odd thing. He has the dream three times. You know, Cornelius, God only needed one angel. Peter, God needed three dreams. And on top of that, a representative came from Cornelius at the, right at, right as Peter was waking up and going downstairs to get food, this representative comes to the house and says, hey, uh, I've come to bring you to a Gentile. And so Peter puts the two pieces together. The, 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 the idea clicks. And he goes off to see Cornelius and talk to him about Jesus. When Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision might mean that he had seen, behold, the man, the men that were sent by Cornelius came and made inquiry for Peter's house and they stood before the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Jesus had said to Peter and the other 10 or 11 disciples, go into, you know, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. But it wasn't enough that Jesus said that. He also needed to have a vision. And then, or an angel. And the Spirit had to speak to him to get him to move. And so Peter went down and said, I'm the one you're looking for, and he goes. And then Peter says to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And then while Peter is preaching the gospel, before he even finishes and has an altar call, the Spirit falls on them. They repent, and Peter tries to catch up with God. He says, if they already have the Spirit, how can anyone prevent them from being baptized? You know, normally it's the baptism with the Spirit coming. But, well, they got, God got ahead of us, so let's catch up and baptize these people. So Jesus had said, but well, well, now wait a minute, I also need the Spirit to confirm. And so the Spirit confirmed, okay. Now Peter stays with them a few days, eats with them. And then he goes back to Jerusalem. And what do they say back to him back in Jerusalem? Uh, chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the brethren who in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, the, the Jewish Christians criticized them, saying, why did you go and eat with them? And then Peter told them the story, and they said, and then they glorified God and said, Glory be to God, who's granted repentance also to the Gentiles. And so then the ministry proceeded aggressively. Mm, No, not yet. Because God saved Cornelius, that doesn't mean that he wants to save all Gentiles. Maybe that just means he wants to save Cornelius. 
Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to none except Jews. I mean, Jesus had said, the Spirit had fallen, and yet they still go speaking the word to none except Jews. But there were some of them, overseas-born Jews, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch. They spoke to Greeks also, to Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed turned to the Lord. And news of this reached Jerusalem. The Gentiles in Antioch are becoming Christians. So what does Jerusalem do? They send the apostles to check it out and make sure it's legit, make sure it's okay. I mean, Jesus had said and the Spirit had guided, but we still got to make sure. We still got to be sure. And then even as late as Acts chapter 15, some men come down from Judea. And they come to Antioch and say, well, look, it's great that you're Gentiles. It's great that you want to believe in Jesus. It's great that you've you know, given your lives to Christ. But, but now you still, you've got to become Jews in order to become Christians. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to eat the right food. And they had this big international church conference to settle this issue once and for all. And it's not until Acts chapter 15 that they settle the issue once for all. The gospel is available to Gentiles. Jews have no priority. Gentiles have access to the gospel as Gentiles, and they don't have to become Jews. That's the urgency. That's the central message of the book of Acts. Even this was not something the disciples planned, that the Jewish church would become predominantly Gentile. This is something that God forced that Jesus commanded, that the Spirit empowered, that there is no priority to the gospel. The gospel is available to all equally. From within the culture, they come. And so by the end of the book of Acts, we really have the central theme stated here. Paul's preaching to the Jews in Rome as he's under house arrest, awaiting trial. He's preaching the gospel to Jews, and, and many Jews come to hear, many reject and so he turns to them and says, Let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now, this is a really... We know this. We may not know it's a central theme of the book of Acts, but we know the priority of missions and the importance of missions in our church. And to some degree. You know, uh, I mentioned, uh, my, my son tells me that this last Urbana didn't do this, but I've heard previous Urbana conferences, great conferences, you know, missions, oh, great, great, great. The last night of the, the, the conference, and the last night is often the, the question is, you know, if God calls you, stand up. If God calls you and you're willing to go, stand up. You know, if God calls you and you're willing to go, stand up. Do you understand how we're kind of like Peter? before he went to Cornelius' house? Jesus had told the disciples, and they stayed. And it wasn't until Peter had this vision three times. And then a Gentile arrived at his door at exactly the right time. That Peter said, oh, oh, maybe the gospel's for Gentiles too. 
And then later on, we find out in Galatians 2, later on, when, when, when Jews came to that community where they had Gentiles, and the Jews said, oh, well, no, we can't eat with Gentiles, even if they're Christians and we're Christians, we can't eat with them. And, and Peter kind of stumbled away and, and said, oh, yeah, I'm Jewish, I can't eat with those Gentiles anymore either. And we're kind of like that. Yeah, I'll go if the Spirit calls me. I mean, it's not enough that Jesus said, i got to wait for the Spirit to give me a vision. And, yeah? Or I think of some other examples of a similar phenomenon. I've mentioned this. Every time I hear about a new church being planted in Boston, I think, well, okay, not bad. We may have a few hundred churches in Boston already. How about planting a new church in Syria or Iran or some peaceful North African country? How about making that a, a goal? Every time I hear of a new Bible translation, it's so discouraging because we have thousands of options in America. And there's thousands of languages where people have zero options. What are we doing? We are the biggest church I know of without a gym for these scads of energetic little kids to run around in. Eventually, we're going to have to look at building a gym. You really think we need to? I mean, a long time ago. Back when you guys were little kids. But how much money can you spend on your own buildings in this country? When the Southern Baptists have to cut back the number of missionaries they're sending severely because of financial shortfall. And yet we've got a lot of big Southern Baptist churches in this country. Have we? Yeah, 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 we know the gospel doesn't prioritize Jews, but surely it prioritizes Americans. Maybe we don't. And when we send missionaries, you know, a major part of our missionary force goes to help disciple Christians rather than reaching the unreached. Here, I'll end with this one thought, because I don't want to end without it. Even if, you know, okay. It's no secret, most of us are Chinese ethnicity, right? Do you know that there was about a hundred years of Protestant missionaries being harassed and persecuted, and about 150 years of Chinese national Christians being killed, a century and a half before China broke open and the gospel just flooded through. And now China is the one place where the gospel is growing fastest in the world. It took about 150 years of suffering. What happens is the culture has to break down. And if the gospel is already there, then the gospel can spread when that culture breaks down. Think of North Africa and the Middle East today. If that's not cultural breakdown, what is? Do you think maybe in the plan of God, when the culture breaks down, the gospel can sweep in? Maybe the next 50 years we'll see among the Muslims in the North Africa and the Middle East what we saw among China, in China, among the Chinese in the last 50, 60 years. It 
has to be our priority. It doesn't mean we have to go, but but it does have to be our priority individually and, and collectively. There is no more priority for the Jew or for the American. Think back to the airlines. Who does the airlines prioritize? They prioritize the infirmed, and they prioritize their best customers. As a church, who do we prioritize? Often, we prioritize our best customers. What we really have to prioritize is the infirmed, those who otherwise have no access. Entire swaths, entire people groups, entire countries where people have no access to the gospel unless we give, unless we pray, unless we send. We don't want to be like an airline where we prioritize our best customers. We do want to be like an airline where we prioritize those in greatest need. Let's pray. Father, help us to live out the lesson that the early church learned with great trouble. Help us to learn it in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen.